0: Well, hey guys, and welcome to Ministry Hangouts with Greg Surratt. We're so glad that you guys are joining us again this month. Uh, We have a great, great panel of guests uh, as we are talking about diversity in the church this month. But before we get into that, let me just hand it over to our namesake. This is Ministry Hangouts with Greg Surratt. So hey, Pastor Greg, how are you doing?
1: Good. Hey, everybody. Good to to see some of you online and uh, know that uh, others are listening, and uh, we do have good guests this this week, as opposed to, you know, the lousy guests that we normally have. But uh, <laughs> that's that's that that was meant to be humorous, all right. But I am excited about both the topic and uh, the guests. Uh, these are some of my friends, and uh, we're just going to take some time and uh, talk a little bit about diversity. Sean, why don't you? Uh, why don't you talk to us about uh, how, how people can interact and also maybe introduce us to the, to the guests today.
0: It's awesome. Hey, if you're joining us live right now, we would love to get some questions from you. Uh, You can hashtag Ministry Hangouts and uh, just put that on Twitter with your question and we will follow you and uh, we'll be watching your questions and we'll get to those questions as soon as we can. Also, just as a reminder, um, we've got quite a few archived Ministry Hangouts now. Uh, They're on the podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to that or you can go to ministryhangouts.com and you can see all of the Past episodes that you can share with your staff, use as a staff um, enrichment, or and uh, just kind of use it as a tool. It's all free. Uh, go use it and uh, share it with as many people as you can. Well, on today's call on diversity, or uh, hang out on diversity, we've got a great, great panel. Uh, first, we've got Pastor Herbert Cooper, who is part of the lead team with our ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches and the church planning arm that Pastor Greg and Billy Hornsby started uh, several uh, years ago, but over a decade now, and the pastor of the People's Church. How are you doing, Pastor Herbert? Doing wonderful. Excited about this discussion we're going to have on diversity. All right. Uh, we also have Scott Williams, who has been with us before, but not on this topic, so we're excited to have uh, Scott back with us. And uh, Scott Williams was on one of the key leadership at LifeChurch.tv, now attends Pastor Herbert's uh, church, the People's Church, and then has his own company and blog and just helping churches grow. How are you doing, Scott?
2: Doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me, and again, looking, looking forward to the call at these awesome men down here. in My my lower third. Everybody's looking
1: really, really cute. Hey, I want to break in right there. I didn't know that we had two two such uh, awesome guys in one church. How do you handle that? I mean that's that's just a lot of that's just a lot of awesomeness in one place. And, all right, that was funny. Okay, sure. Right.
0: Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of awesome going on in Memphis, Tennessee as well. Pastor John Siebling, how are you doing? Uh Pastor of the Life Church of Memphis, and also ARC lead team member as well.
3: Yes, sir. Well, great, Sean. Thanks for having me. You and Greg's great opportunity to be with everybody. Talk about diversity with some of my my boys, uh, Herbert, and uh, and so anyway, it's great. Great to be a part. Looking forward to it.
0: Awesome, and then certainly not last. Is Jimmy Rollins, the man who was made famous at the art conference this past week with his video in a beautiful purple shirt? How are you doing, Pastor Jimmy from uh, I 5 Church? Good to have you. What's up? What's up? I'm doing great. It's actually like teal blue. Uh, you can't really see that color. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, we're doing great. We're excited to be on the call. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward to it. I'll hand it back over to you, Pastor Greg, as we get to uh, some of our questions and our topic for today just diversity in the churches reminder real quick you can hashtag ministry hangouts and we'll be looking for your questions
1: All right, this should be fun you know we um, um, I promoted uh, this hangout uh, saying uh, is your church too too white and uh, I know that diversity is has become a buzzword and I know that we have you know we've got John Siebling and I who are obviously uh, white, and uh, we have some uh, guys that are African-Americans, and we could ask the question, is your church too black? I think we'll talk about that from both sides a little bit, and I'll, I'll be interested in kind of uh, delving into that. But word diversity has become a buzzword. It's big. It's hot in the church. Um, the, uh, the, the positive of that, it means that you know people a lot of people are talking about it, they're thinking about it. The question is, um, is it working? I, I know someone said, um, you know, the oft-quoted thing that the, the most um, segregated hour uh, of the week is uh, the worship hour uh, on Sunday. And um, are, are we are we seeing more diversity in the church? Talk to me about that just a little bit. Uh John, what do you think? Let me let me just kind of point that at you. What, do you think we're making progress? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you think?
3: Well, I definitely think we're making progress. I mean, I, you know, have to speak for myself more. You know, with our own experience here in Memphis, obviously a very um, racially divided city, and uh, Dr. King himself was assassinated here in, in Memphis. So. Uh, you know <clears throat> I always people always ask me you know diversity is your thing and and you know I always I'm quick to say no it's really not my thing I, I when we started the church in Memphis I just looked at the demographics and Memphis is 62 percent African American and 30 uh, percent uh, white and you know eight percent Latino Asian So I just thought if we're gonna be a church that uh, reaches a city we're gonna have to look like our city so I you know, from the very beginning said, well, we've got to look like Memphis. And, and so, uh, you know, wasn't always that way with us. You know, we started off very white, lily white. And, uh, but over time we, we have, um, you know, we've, we've come to reflect that, that look. So, uh, it's working. It is, it's, our church is fully diverse. And, uh, you know, it's an exciting place to be. It's definitely spicy. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have to speak for myself. Of course, I have friends that are also endeavoring to build a more of a diverse uh, culture in their church, and it's working for them. I think it's something you got to talk about, something you got to deal with. And when you do, I think people respond well for the most so,
1: part. So, John, um, you, you said you're reflective of that. So would your congregation, the ratios in your congregation be reflective of the ratios in the city that you just talked yep, about?
3: Pretty much. Pretty okay. pretty much. On 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 any given weekend, that's kind of what yeah, we kinda of look like that. You know, but, you know, it, it fluctuates a little bit here and there, but it's kinda of like pretty much reflects that.
1: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to that reflective thing for just a minute. Let me let me go back and and uh, talk to uh, let's talk to Herbert just a second about Kenneth, uh, kind of the original question, are we seeing more diversity in the church, do you think, or not?
4: You know, I think we are. I, I think it's a positive that, that it's even being talked about. So I think that it's hard to see change. It's hard to see transformation. It's hard to see uh, groups of people come together if it's not even on the radar screen. So I think it's a, a positive that it is a buzzword. It is something that we're talking about. And I think because it's something we're talking about that people are taking note and trying to build a diverse church, or trying to build a church that reflects the community, and saying that hey, everybody needs to know Christ. And so, I think from from my vantage point that uh, we're seeing the ball, we're seeing some movement. So,
1: so tell me a little bit about the racial makeup of your church.
4: Yes, when we our our church would be when we started our church, we started uh, in a close to the sub to the suburbs, and at that time we were probably. 60, 65% uh, white, uh, and then the rest minorities. And then when we built our first facility, I didn't know it at the time. I, I had never lived in Oklahoma City. We bought 50 acres and we bought it uh, in the black neighborhood. And so when we bought that piece of property, uh, we immediately, our numbers went probably more like 70, 30, 75, 25 uh, within probably a year or so. And that will probably be our, 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 our breakdown today would be 70-75% African American, and then the other 25-30% be um, Caucasian or Hispanic. Uh, so that would be our makeup. And so I, I think not only being reflective of your city, but also of the area that your church is located, will have can have a real impact upon uh, who you're going to reach.
1: Okay. How about uh, Scott Williams? We uh, everybody else is kind of uh, on this this panel, at least, are kind of planted. You know, we we travel a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, you travel a lot. Uh, what do you What are you seeing? Are Are we seeing more diversity or or uh, less diversity? What do you think?
2: I think that's a great question. I think just to echo what John and Pastor Herbert both have said, definitely we're seeing more. And as a matter of fact, whenever I had written my book, it released three years ago. One thing I told my publisher is I feel like that we're actually really premature in this conversation. And it's funny that we're actually seeing the ball beginning to move a little bit more here three years later. I think, we're again, we're probably six or seven years from it really hitting its prime. And so definitely a lot more discussion, a lot more conversation about it. And then even if you look at the research from, uh, from Emerson now what you're seeing is is that if you, you know the research eight or nine years ago showed that you know 93 percent of churches are racially segregated now that's numbers moved to more like 86 percent so we've had about a seven percent swing over the last five to seven or eight years so it's definitely showing some growth some movement in that area as more people begin to have conversations about it and really it's just it's almost the nature of what's happening with our nation like It's definitely become more diverse church. I see all around the country and even around the world. That's what we're seeing. And again, just the census statistics show that it's just an evolution where we're going to have to become more diverse if we want to exist. If your church is going to exist in the future, it's definitely got to be more diverse because I think it's I don't know 2044. The U.S. will no longer be an all-white majority. So,
1: well, uh, Jimmy, you're you're coming from um, kind of the opposite. Direction, uh, in, in fact, tell us just a little bit about background of the church where you're at, and and a just tiny bit of your story, and then and talk to me then about um, uh, what what are you seeing? Are you seeing more diversity uh, in the church?
5: Absolutely. Um, well, we started. Um, I served my parents for uh, 17 years in the traditional uh, African American uh, context of church, and um, uh, we started the idea. Uh, about five years ago the idea of man you know is this really what God's called uh, me to do and I know you just personally I've always been in, in in diverse settings and um and so you know my goal was is when I when I took over and we changed the name to I5 Church uh, is to create a, di- a dynamically diverse church um, and uh, man, it was definitely difficult we were 100 and 10 percent African-American uh, the day that I took over and, um, and so since then, we've been uh, really, really after diversity, uh, really after, uh, um, you know, integration, if you will. Um, but for us, you know, in the Northeast, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, I'd say there's, you're not going to find a lot of, uh, you know, diverse churches here. Um, if, you, if you do, mostly uh, with the ethnic backgrounds of African and, and Hispanic and uh, Dale O'Shields there, um, uh, he's, a, he's a good friend of ours. He has a, a very diverse church. Uh, but there, it's a really African culture in where he lives. But in our context, um, Odenton, where we live, and uh, if you don't know where that is, if you spell that backwards phonetically, it spells nothing to do. So there ain't nothing to do here. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, but there's there was no churches doing what we're trying to do, and so uh, you know we've been after it. Uh, one of the one of the things that we've had to do is change the front door. Um, and when I say that is, you know, normally the front door in a church is, hey, let me invite my friends to church. Let me invite the people that I, you know, do life with. But in our context, if we did that, <laughs> we were going to get all African-Americans. And so um, we changed the front door to child care, uh, through child care and, uh, and our sports programs. And so we looked where diversity was already happening. It was already happening, uh, you know, in the child care arena and it was already happening on the sports field. And so we created sports ministry and and child care, a child care integrated auxiliary, uh, which there is, we have probably 75% um, diversity, and it's 75% white and, and 25% African American. But the area that we live in is 74% white, uh, 14% African American, and we were an all African American church. And just the thought of diversity, I kind of think it should ta- it should take a diverse church to reach a diverse community.
1: Okay. So you guys had to go looking for white people. You had to you had yeah. to be intentional about about getting them in the front door, is that right? That's right. I was gonna come to Seacoast
5: and grab about a few thousand of them, you know? <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that just for a minute. Then I wanna I I I wanna go back to a thought that I have about uh, that could be very controversial. This could be our last podcast, as a matter of <laughs> fact. But uh, okay, so so you're you're there are pastors listening uh, that are in a situation like me where you're in a community that is 91, 92% white. Um, is the goal, what, what is the goal? Is the goal to be racially reflective uh, of, the, of the community? Uh, what, what is the goal? I mean, what, what should we be looking at there? Anybody want to tackle that?
3: Uh Greg, I just you know, I started off by saying I, I felt like that was our goal. Um you know, I, I think part of it is because, you know, there was such a large population of African Americans and yet, you know, a lot of the churches were all white, one hundred percent white or one hundred percent black, and I thought, man, this is something that doesn't look, feel right about that, it doesn't look right about it. You know, you you go to the mall, you go to Walmart you know you got to you got to work uh, i just think church ought to look like all those other places yet for a lot of people here it looked totally different you know so i think it, i think it's a great goal i don't you know to me i tell people you know greg if you're in a 91% if you're in a community of 91% white i think that's probably what your church ought to look like i mean you know that's where the community is church ought to reflect the community you know so i, I mean the answer is yes i would say
1: so I, I did a I didn't preach this weekend I did um, what we call the campus crawl um, we had uh, some folks that were visiting and wanted to see how the campuses work so I went around with them this weekend and um, you know we went to one campus that I went to the original campus that's it's probably reflective of the community 91 percent 92 percent white and uh, then we went down to a, a campus that's on a kind of a surfer white surfer dude, you know, young, you know, just lots of of young uh, in a kind of a surfing community. And then I uh, went to the Dream Center, which is in a um, a very diverse area, and uh, the dream Center is very, very diverse, you know, including the, the people on stage, the people uh, in the pews. So if you were to ask Seacoast, are you diverse? I would say, what is the definition? Is it reflective? Yeah. And and different areas of the city look look differently. So so there's kind of that. Now here here's the controversial thing. You now maybe controversial. I don't know. Uh, I was talking to a um, uh, uh, actually he was a businessman, very successful uh, black businessman, um, and he was talking about his church. We we're talking about racial diversity and they said that their goal was to be racially diverse, racially diverse, and I asked, "Well, how much are you, and how are you doing on the goal?" And and he said, basically, they were kind of like Jimmy's church before uh, Jimmy, um, you know, and you guys a- attacked the issue aggressively, but they they, f- they thought they were attacking attacking the issue aggressively, and we can talk about how you do that. But he made a statement. He he said this. He said that he wonders if it isn't harder for a black church to become um, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, racially diverse than it is for a white church to become racially diverse. And uh, let, let me just throw that out. And that's not even as much of the controversy as what I want to get into. But what, what do you think? Uh, Jimmy, you, you kind of laughed and shook your head. What do you think? Do you think that's...
5: Is I, that- I, I definitely would agree with that statement. Um, based on in my uh, you know history, I've just found that you know, uh, it all has to do with um, the frequency of being the minority. For us, you know, for me, you know, I'm used to being the minority. So for me to come into the context of, you know, an all-white worship service, it's not uncomfortable for me um, because that's my every day. I live that every single day. Hmm. Um, however, uh, what we have found um, is that some we actually poll and talk to uh, our white brothers and sisters who come to I-5 church, and we ask them, you know, well, what's what's the biggest hindrance? You know, what's the biggest hurdle? And they were like, we're just not used to being around um, African Americans in this type of setting. And so what we did was, is what we what can we do uh, to make you more comfortable? And so we had to really uh, be careful with our conversations because our dramas were, you know, they had swag. You know what I mean? Our our worship experiences and our jokes that we told were so culturally. Uh, uh, you know, involved. We we had to literally stop doing that because we were ostracizing the people in our in our in our in our pews, if you will, our chairs. Um, but uh, for us, yeah, we really had to we really had to change the conversation because what I found is you know just white people in general aren't used to being the minority, so it's a lot different for them to come into our worship services and sit without you know feeling uncomfortable.
1: Herbert, what do you say about that?
4: What do you think? No, I would I would. Um I agree with uh, Jimmy wholeheartedly, and I think not only not used to being the minority, but in in many places across our our nation, they uh, I would say, uh, their white people are not used to following black leadership.
1: Ooh, there we go, bingo! That's what I I was going to get into.
4: Yeah, I think that is. uh, So that's a that's a that's 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 a hurdle for for many. They haven't crossed. They now as. Here in the 21st century, we're we're seeing some some changes in African Americans coming into leadership, but it's a it's a new paradigm that hey, my banker's white, my principal's white, my superintendent's white, the people I do business with is white, and now I'm going to follow a black pastor. And so, I mean, those those are those are hurdles that are are interesting that are. Uh, kind of a new paradigm shift, and I would say a lot of the folks that are white in our church, I'm, I'm, I'm the first black leader they've ever followed. Wow! So that is a, a, a hurdle for for people to cross. So I would say, from that standpoint of not only um, used to being the minority, but following a black leader is also another hurdle for uh, many, to, many have to cross.
1: Okay, that's uh, so you know it. It, it seems like in any endeavor, you know, you've got the bell curve that we've all studied for various things, and you've got early adopters, and uh, these are people who, even, uh, for instance, at Seacoast, our dream center is located in a community that's been very dangerous, um, but I think that the gospel and community leaders and what have you have kind of put a dent in all of that, but you've got people who will drive from the 91, 92 percent, you know, white population that will drive past our big campus and go to the Dream Center because they want their kids to be in a diverse environment, and uh, they're obviously the early adopters. But as you get more and more of them, what is it, fifteen percent becomes a tipping point in in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, you know, I don't know if anybody wants to comment on that, but that's that's yeah. uh, that's I something I see.
2: I think there's a couple of things that play there. I think Pastor Herbert is definitely right when it comes to the leadership because it is something that's new. And of course, with honestly, with the election of President Obama, that did at least shift something nationwide that we had to people had to come to grips with. At mm-hmm. least, to, you know what, we do have an African American president. So whether no matter where you are on a policy line, at least brought it front and center of this yeah. conversation. But again, it is difficult for many um, individuals if you're white. Like I haven't been in a situation where I've had to submit to especially biblical authority and biblical leadership because if you think about it, a lot of times people say, oh, we want to we try to move the curve. We want to try to be more diverse. And, and so even when they look at their, their list of guest speakers they have, like, okay, we're okay. You can be my friend. I can put my arm around you, but I'm not going to let you have the pulpit. And so what I say, that's a lot of times that's the last thing that's happened. A lot of times I spoke at a church. I'm the first African-American that's ever been in the pulpit, which is great. It's a great first start. But I encourage and challenge you when you're looking for your guest speakers, Find someone that doesn't look like you if you're the leader because – and if you don't look around and have anyone that's that's diverse, that can uh, be in your pulpit, then you really need to probably look in the mirror at your heart and your friendship and your database of friends that you have. And so – and I think that when you start talking about that tipping point of this younger generation, I mean, this generation, they're growing up to where they expect diversity. Yeah. Like my boys are 11 and 14 years old hip-hop is a culture for them. It's not a race thing. I mean, they're growing up in a generation where the best rapper is a white guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just growing up in a totally different generation, and so we just have to understand that and know that times are shifting, and we have to be ready, because it really starts with the leader, and it starts with the leader's heart.
1: Anybody else want to jump in on that? Had a thought?
2: I think for us, uh,
5: Greg, one of the things we, we had to look at is is what does diversity really mean for us. Um, because we, you know, if we just looked at the black-white diversity, you know, are we going to see success every week? Yeah, now today we're 23 percent white uh, at our, in, our, in our church services, but our organization is, is much more diverse with our child care center and our track. And so we started looking at we came up with what we call our diversity pyramid and, and it has like seven levels of diversity and, and, and the most glaring one is racial uh, you know, an ethnic background, and then number, if you go up one level, it's socioeconomic because we have different, you know, diversities within those, the context of, you know, the socioeconomic economic background. Then we have age and generational, gender, uh, religious background, disability, and then just style, preference. And so one of our values of, of what we're going to do is no matter, in all seven of those things, we're going to learn to love beyond our preferences, which is one of our values here at I-5 Church. Uh, so we had to look at diversity uh, much broader than the integration part of it. We had to look at it, uh, you know, and and really, really celebrate the wins of, you know, how are we reaching out, uh, you know, gender-wise, age, generational. As I took over my parents' church, you know, uh, like how was I going to honor the past and still, you know, you know, tackle the things that we're trying to do uh, at i 5
1: Well, th- let's get into some prescriptive things like that. Uh, you. You know, you uh, or actually Scott talked to us about uh, the speakers that we have, making sure that we we're, we're uh, diverse in that way. John, if you're you're, you're a brand new pastor, okay, and uh, how do you start a? What did you guys do? What prescriptively? What did you do when you looked around and said we're all white and our city isn't? Uh, what are the what are the um, the how tos? What did you do?
3: Well, we talked about it. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, I always tell a funny story. But you know, the very first Sunday we started, we had our, whatever you call it, guest brochure or whatever on the seats, and uh, you know, it had our our vision statement, which said something to the effect of, you know, we're a, we're a multicultural church or we're a diverse church, and you know, it just wasn't true. I mean, it was we were 100% white, and so it was kind of funny. But we were saying it from the beginning, and yet we didn't look that way, and. You know, I, I, there was a girl that started coming, a young woman that started coming to our church. Very sharp, uh, young, uh, just finished law school, and she walked up to my wife one day and she had that brochure. She's African American. She said, "I guess I'm the I'm the multicultural." You know, <laughs> and said, "Yes, please." You know, and in the very, stay. <laughs> in the very beginning, we you know. We probably looked a little desperate. You know, anytime we'd have an African-American family come, we would surround them. You know, did you like it? Are you coming back? You know, um, I talked about it from the pulpit. I mean, I lived in Africa for three years, you know, so, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, do you feel like you had to go to Africa, you know, through Africa to get to Memphis in order to be well-rounded? Certainly, I think it was a part of it, you know, and I experienced what Jimmy talked about being uh, being a minority. We were in a church, a city church. Nairobi's a big city, <clears throat> and um, we were in a stadium, professional setting. We had doctors and lawyers, and you know. But obviously, we're in Africa, so you know, I was the, I was the minority there, and uh, and I just I appreciate what Scott said, and Jimmy, and Herbert, all of them, one hundred percent correct about the fact that I think white people are more uncomfortable being the minority than 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 the opposite. Uh, And I just talked about those things. I mean, I just decided I was going to be real. I was going to talk about my story. Uh, You know, every year, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, uh, I usually talk about diversity and talk about that as one of our values. Um, Certainly, we were strategic about, you know, having uh, African-American guest speakers or or Latino, whatever you want to say, Asian. We were strategic about that. Um, because it was one of our values, we we you know we we worked hard on just the practical things, you know. So I just think, man, you just got to be real about it. You got to talk about it. I had a couple of friends when when our church started to become more diverse that I went out to lunch with, and I said, "How am I doing? You know, what am what am I talking about that is not connecting with the African American community? What do I need to talk about more? Where am I being? If I am being offensive, where is it? What?" You know, teach me, help me learn. And I, man, I sat across the table many lunches and heard stories that, you know, were heartbreaking to me about things. And, and I've, you know, I grew as a man, I grew as a, as a, as a leader through those moments. And, you know, so you just got to keep that. I, I think you got to be real, got to talk about it, got to keep your heart open, share your stories, um, and, uh, you know, be practical, like stuff like that.
0: Pastor Greg, speaking of uh, practical and on the same kind of topic, we got two questions from Twitter that I think kind of fit in where we're at. And uh, that is, how does a direction toward diversity impact hiring practices? In in other words, uh, another follow-up question says, uh, should the staff racial makeup resemble the diversity ratios in your community? And is that a practical step that, that people can take? What
1: do you guys think?
0: You know, I have, I think, personally, there, I think we got
2: to be careful with, the, my personally, the ratios of the community. Like, if we keep going to that, I think a lot of times we're going to miss the big picture, and the big picture is the heart. Because yeah. if the heart is right, the thing is, you might have an ethnic minority represented on your leadership team. Well, we got to understand, if you have an, an African-American, uh, uh, an East Indian, a Hispanic, If you're a minority, you tend to connect with other minorities. You know what I'm saying? You're someone that's brown on this. So, again, you don't have to have this total reflection of your community. But I do think that the hiring practices are absolutely crucial, especially on the leadership team, because it's something that I call the cafeteria worker syndrome. My boys, one time they asked me, like, Dad, why are the cafeteria workers always black? And so as I pondered and began to kind of wrestle with that question, the thing is, like, we're okay hiring someone to do X, Y, Z, but are we willing to put them on our directional leadership team? And so I think that you just have to make sure that you have someone with different background, with different experiences at the table so you just don't have the same voices. So you're singing to some different music, which is going to make the beauty of it all. And so, and again, but I, I personally don't think don't get locked into I need to have a black, Hispanic, or Asian as opposed to do I have different voices represented at my table, whether it's ethnicity as well as female at your table as well. That's a big question I ask the churches that I work with when I'm sitting with their leadership team.
1: I I resonate with John just a little bit as far as just uh, just having conversations. I remember in South Carolina we had a political issue that was extremely divisive black-white. And so um, I went to one of my good friends who uh, was, uh, now he's the only uh, African-American senator, uh, Tim Scott, uh, as a Republican. And uh, he's the only African-American Republican senator. I, I think he was the only one until um, um, there was a, um, I think from Maryland, I think, uh, uh, another senator from the Democratic side was elected. But anyway, I went to him and I said, "Okay, um, how, how should I feel about this? You know, I mean, I, how, how do you feel about this? What, what, how does the community feel about this uh, from where you're at?" And honestly, uh, I made my decision uh, on how I was going to feel because I was kind of neutral on the whole thing. Uh, but I'd never really talked to someone who felt deeply like he did on you know, an, an issue that felt different than I did, which brings up another thing about having a diverse church. <laughs> John, how, how are elections? Are elections fun times when America is, is, uh, is going through elections? Talk to me about that just a little bit.
3: Not fun at all. Um, I just stay away from it. To be honest, I feel like there's so much, uh, you know, um, there's just, there's so there's so many differences in opinion and different thoughts that uh, you know I have always just said hey you need to vote you need to vote according to your heart and according to what the Word of God says and it, and you go and you know just vote that was always my thing just make sure you're voting and uh, but I, to be honest with you Greg it's been it, it, we've had some difficult moments not just you know uh, in in a, um, from a from a national but local election there's just been some different issues that we've we've dealt with and uh, I just man, my thing is we're the church I'm going to preach the word uh, we're gonna love Jesus we're gonna help people find Christ I'm just not going to get political that that's just been a commitment I made I'm just not going to touch it and um, so in that regard we've we've as a church we've been able to do well through some difficult some difficult moments Um you know i don't know i'd love to hear what the other guys say about that but that's kind of the that's kind of my been my approach
1: herbert talk to me about
3: politics
1: and a diverse church
4: yeah i always preach one message for the democrats one message for the republicans i'm just kidding i'm just kidding. <laughs> i um i have the same approach as john i'm i'm a i'm a bible preacher um, i want to make jesus famous i'm not trying to champion anybody's agenda or platform um, I want to be a unifier, uh, I want to see everybody, whether whether they're Republican, Democrat, Im- independent, black, white, Hispanic, some other, I want everybody to be able to come to the cross and, 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 know, and know Jesus, and, and unfortunately, politics is a very divisive issue, and so I keep my own opinions to myself, and I preach the word and try to rally the people to unify behind the cause of Christ, so it is an issue that I don't address publicly. So that's that's my stance on it.
1: So Jimmy, um, how about you? Uh, Stereotypically, uh, uh, African American churches tend to be more involved in politics. Um, How how has that impacted uh, your goal of um, diversity? Um, I guess I'll start out by this. I'm called a sellout (laughs) whenever there's
5: Elections, because man, I get so many phone calls. Um, You know, I, you know, we need to get this black guy in office. You know, and our church, being, you know, in our area, one of the, you know, larger predominantly African American churches of influence here, is uh, we get a lot of, we get a lot of phone calls. But I, I'm, I'm where John and and Herbert um, are. I don't touch it. Um, I preach Jesus. We make Jesus famous. And I actually, will have a couple Sundays ago. I had. Uh, a a whole group of people I was like they were all in red and you know they had their church hats on it was it was it was great I, I actually made a joke I probably shouldn't have but um it was uh and they were there uh to to get this lady voted in for something I didn't know and they they I, someone passed me a note that said you know someone wants to talk and I just said we don't do that here and um I got a phone call the next week from one of the uh influential African Americans in our in our city and was kind of upset with me but you know, I'm just sold out to Jesus, man. And, um, you know, that, that's who we, that's as Herbert said, that's who we make famous. And so we don't touch it at all. Yeah,
4: yeah, I, I kind of
1: wonder.
5: I was just oh, going
4: to yeah. say, I got, I got cussed out, our, our, some of our staff in the lobby one day from a, a lady that, because we didn't, we wouldn't champion politics. So it can be a heated yeah. issue, man. She was on fire.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I you know, and um, I'll come at it from a different, I, I've been chewed out from the other side. You know, we don't, but but I kind of, and we have in our church, for whatever reason, we've got some, you know, we've got a senator, and we've got a representative, and we've got local politicians, but we don't, you know, we don't get up and bang the drum, uh, especially loud enough for what some people would like, but I feel like that if we, if we bang the drum, we lose, uh, you know, I mean, politically, our country is so divided right now, we're you know, 51 to 49, whatever, and so if we're going to be divorced, and uh, when you study it, obviously, African Americans are, you know, 90% vote one direction, and if you, if you look the, at the um, uh, Caucasian crowd, white crowd, uh, it's not 90%, but it's certainly tilted the other direction, and so if we choose to get involved in these things, which some guys do, which is their calling, but uh, it's going to impact diversity. Um, Scott, yeah, any, think, any comments on that?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's kind of my background, just to give you a little bit of context for me, I was, before ministry I was a lobbyist, I was a political consultant that was kind of what I was doing it was the direction I was going, and I had a, a friend at the time, he wasn't my pastor, but I remember sitting across from uh, from Pastor Herbert he just told me about making sure as I'm sharing things on social media something that wouldn't be divisive, that wouldn't cause someone not to want to come in my church, so at the time I was a campus pastor at Life Church, and so I really took that to heart. So my entire time that I was in ministry, I never shared, believe me, I have a political opinion on every single thing that comes out there, but I just kind of made the commitment not to because, I mean, I was the first African-American delegate to the Republican National Convention from Oklahoma. That's kind of the trajectory I was on. But I will say this, now that I'm not, you know, leading a church, I think it's okay for, you know, for you to support Candidates, I think it's okay for you to visit. Hey, man, I'm I'm supporting this guy. I'm behind this guy. But the thing is, I just don't share what my opinion is or isn't. You know, I supporting the guy sometimes will, but then I think there's sometimes as as ministry leaders and as Christian leaders, especially when we have strong Christian candidates that that can help move the dial because our you know that we make sure that we have things that are protected. And as you talk about Pastor Greg, you know, with Tim Scott being the you know the first African American senator, we're probably going to have one from Oklahoma if all goes well. And this is a guy who's—I mean—everything he's doing is Christ-centered. He's about Jesus, and so—and those things are important to me as we look at the leadership. And you know, Scripture's clear on kings and queens and leaders and rulers, and so like I think we have to to understand that as well. But I do think it's very—just you know—don't share, don't share your opinion. Just stay out of it. The best thing to do is know that you have an opinion, but you don't have to share your opinion. Good.
3: I'll, say one, I'll say one story, Greg. The only one thing I was just sitting here thinking—the only one thing that I've done—is. Um, our, our, our mayor's African-American, and he's a, he's a great, he's become a great friend, and um, we had this really wild thing happen about a year ago. Uh, the Ku, Ku Klux Klan was going to have a rally in a big park downtown Memphis. Um, the park was named after a former Ku Klux Klansman leader or something, so they were changing the name, thank God, and uh, so they were going to have this huge rally, and it just got all this press. And the mayor called and said, "I'm going to come to church this weekend. I'm going to be in your church this weekend." And it was the weekend before the the rally. And you know, so I called him up and just let him greet the church, and because I knew he wanted to say something about it. And so it was a, it was a great moment for um, for me as a pastor. Of course, that's an easy one because you know who supports the Ku Klux Klan yeah, no, exactly. at all? I mean, but. It was an easy one. It was a great opportunity for him. The church loved it, um, and I just think that that's an opportunity to, you know, to support. He was under a lot of pressure. Of course, he couldn't shut the thing down. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't do it. Um, so, I mean, hardly anybody showed up. It was, it was a perfect scenario. But I, I felt, I felt honored that he would come to our church on the weekend before this thing happened. Wow. You know, of all the churches that he could go to, and so I, at first, I wasn't going to have him come up. I was, I just kind of recognized him, but then I thought, "Nah, let, let him pop up and say something." It was, it ended up being just perfect. You know, it was great for the church, great for him. Um,
1: Sean, did you have another question, or I, before uh, I go in another
3: direction,
0: I had, a, I had a question real quick in a change directions. I uh, I pastor in a in a racially tense environment, rural environment. And I uh, have just decided from the beginning to talk about race a lot. We're trying to build a racially diverse church, as our county is. And what I've found is that people are really more uh, reminiscent to, to attending church with, with different color and being racially diverse and all. But really what the, still the sticking issue is, and, I, and when I talk about it, man, I feel the tension, is is the real issue is, hey, if we, if we start attending church together, eventually my daughter may marry a black guy. My son may marry a black uh, girl, and that's really where it gets tense. And y'all, so, we're uh, in South Carolina now still. You have to understand that. Yeah, no. And so is that, I mean, is that still, do y'all see that across, that you, you kind of cross a divide when you get into the biracial, like I'm friends, but now biracial, that's a whole other step. I'm having to take and really push. I'm having to have deep conversations with people to go, that's still racist bro and and, and you know th- those kind of conversations is that still out there or are we just in the okay. just in the woods no, let me let me
3: <laughs> say this we have every every couple in Memphis that's black white white black they all go to our church because they on they are uncomfortable at every other church in the city and it's, wow. it's it's hilarious I mean and i I think it's I get it okay you know but it's pretty crazy that people are still you know, um, struggling with those with those kind of issues, but um, so yeah, no doubt it's a, no doubt it's a real issue.
5: I think um, it all points back to what Scott said earlier. It's a heart thing, and you know, we kind of we kind of narrowed this down to two things. This you know this racial divide when we do our series on diversity is a generational strongholds and and justified unforgiveness, which doesn't you know exist. Uh, and we end the conversation with, you know, it's a heart thing, and you know, we always say that, you know, money, as John says in his book, uh, worry-free finances. Look at that, look at that plug, John. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Man. you know, uh, where, where, um, where our checkbooks reveal our heart, you know, check your cell phones. Your cell phones will, will reveal where you stand <laughs> on on uh, diversity. And um, at the end of my sermon, uh, I just did, and. Uh, one of the sermons I just did on this at another church, predominantly all-white church, you know, it all boils down to: is your heart really pure when, when, when my son would want to date your daughter, and and how would you feel about that? And you know, I've always been in, in situations where that was not accepted, and you know, everyone has no prejudice until that happens, and that's what Scott said. This is really a heart issue, and if if, if we don't deal with the heart of the thing, that Jesus, that we are all under the name of Jesus Christ. And as Scott says in his book, look at, that, look at that plug, Scott, that it's either a great commission or a great omission. And if we are omitting people, then it really is going to take a great submission. And so I, it's a heart thing, and I believe if, if we're truly after the heart of God, that we're going to love anybody, everybody, and everyone.
2: Hmm.
1: Anybody else want to jump in there?
2: I think what Jimmy's saying is, is powerful when you look at I think the, the big thing is, and I think to answer your question, Sean, is like, the church has to be the one to have these conversations. I think that's what John said. did even look like, you know what, I just had to have these if we're not gonna if you're not gonna have these conversations around the issue of the gospel, then don't feel like you have permission to talk to me about my kids and my daughters and what they're dating and whatever. If you can't start here, then you don't have permission to even worry about what I got going on here as far as I look at it. Mm-hmm. But when you're gonna talk about it from a gospel position and a heart issue, it'll start to punch and transcend all of those things. I remember I, my very, I spoke at Sean Lovejoy's church in Cumming, Georgia. I mean, that's the you know the place where they had, Forsyth uh, County, where Oprah did the special, you know, if you're black, don't let the sun set on your back here. And that was just like 40 years ago. It wasn't like it was 140 years ago. Mm-hmm. And and there literally was a guy that wrote me a, a message afterwards. He said, you know what? I came to church today, I'll be honest. I was a racist. I saw you. I'm like, what is this bleepy bleep doing here? He says, it wasn't until I was confronted after the church that it opened his eyes. Now all of a sudden he doesn't want to raise his daughter this way. He said he was opening the door for black people at the mall on Sunday afterwards. But it was because he was confronted in the church from a gospel message, then it starts to penetrate everything else. And so that's the first point.
3: You know what's interesting, uh, Greg, just to throw this out, and I, I don't want to bring this in another direction, but living in Africa, and um, let me just speak about Kenya, because we lived in Kenya, a lot of our ministry – was trying to break down walls of prejudice between tribes, same skin color, uh, but we were reaching these young guys out, just out of college, men. I mean, just educated professionals, and their parents didn't want them dating uh, a a member of another tribe, and so it's the same issue. It's it's yeah. a heart issue. It's a prejudice racial issue that goes back to the heart. And I just love what all these guys are saying, man. If we don't yeah, we got to believe for the Holy Spirit to, to break sure. down these walls in people's lives. And, you know, the whole spiritual warfare over a city and principalities and power and all that, I find myself so often just praying, you know, gosh, praying for, for, for those strongholds to be broken over our city. You know, we've come a long way, but we have so much. we got a lot, a lot of way to go, you know.
1: Hmm. Herbert, did you, you want to throw anything in there?
4: Sure. I, I guess I can speak... Um... Not just from pastoral experience uh, with the diverse church, but from personal experience. So I'm you married,
1: married somebody's. You married somebody's. I married,
4: daughter. I married a pastor's white daughter. You know, so <laughs> I messed up that whole family. <laughs> Black man shows up for Christmas. What? <laughs> I showed up, yeah. but um, Lord. you know, on, on a personal level, you know, my my wife's family's. Um, of course, she, they're all Caucasian and uh, Christians, and from just even a personal, when when I was when we were dating, and there was someone in the family, not her parents, but someone in the family that loves the Lord. That my wife really, really respected this in a letter, and from a they believed from a biblical point of view because that's what they were taught, that it was wrong for uh, us to to be married, and so wow. So I just say that my wife and I have been married now 16 years, but that's not that long ago, <laughs> and yeah. so I do think um. that we have there is an education factor that that what does Scripture teach, uh, what what does it, why in the Old Testament did God command people not to marry and it wasn't because of, of skin color as much as it were they weren't serving the Lord they weren't serving the one true God they were worshiping false gods but mm. so just from a personal and, and the wonderful thing is and this is kinda of my model because of living uh, in Oklahoma where uh, it's it's probably like a lot of city, cities most churches are all white all black are all Latino um and, and living here is just one of those things that I've just tried to live it out more than preach it out because I am married to a white lady and so that speaks volumes. Without me, we used to when we started the church, we used to have a banner that said a multicultural church with you in mind. It was me and my white wife on it, smiling. So it's like you know what's up. You know it's all right. It is okay, my brother, if you want to come. But with that came uh, white people that said, "Hey, I'm not going there because I'm not. I don't want that. I don't want a white lady marry a black man." and Then black people, and then especially black ladies. With, with you know, I, I would hear from time to time. Hey, we. Look at him, we lost another good brother. Look at him, we lost another good brother. Yep. And so just those those kind, that kind of tension in my own city. And so I just said, I'm going to live this out. And I do preach on diversity, but more than having, for my, my context, more than having to preach it, I just live it out. My wife's preached. She does videos. She's on the stage with me. And so um, it's it's been a unique challenge as a pastor and as uh, someone who is in a diverse marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I love this. This is good. We're almost run out of time, and I want to get into a couple more things. Maybe just one. I know. I was thinking when John, you were saying, you know, the brochure that talked about diversity. Um, you have to think about, um, you know, who was on that brochure. You know, are they all white? Or are they all black? Or, uh, who, who's in the videos? I mean, well, we were going to do a video, uh, I think, at Christmas time, and uh, I took a look at the video. And I said, guys, this doesn't reflect. The community doesn't reflect our church. Uh, and so we reshot some things because it's important you look at those things. And, and uh, if you're not looking at them, other people are, I'm sure. Um, but talk about music just for a minute uh, because uh, you know, I talked about uh, Senator Tim Scott. He, he publicly makes fun of me about my whiteness when it comes to yeah. the kind of music that I like. and. And uh, some of that type of thing, and and I know that um, if you were to walk into generally a African American church, a, a complete you know like a uh, all black church, and you were to walk into you know uh, of course not not all churches in every regard are, are alike, but most generally let's let's walk into a contemporary kind of all white church, you've got different kind of music going on, and um, First of all, do you agree with me? Is that an issue? How do you do that? You know, do you? Can we in, in, embrace our differences, uh, Jimmy? You had to do something interesting with that. I think can you talk to us yeah. about it a little bit.
5: We um we did mostly uh, gospel music when uh, my parents passed to the church, and literally we we I mean we we just switched immediately. We went from doing you know Hezekiah Walker and and uh, uh, and some of these guys to you know um, Hillsong and Everyone was like, you know, <laughs> what is Hillsong? They didn't, didn't even know what Hillsong, one of the biggest mm-hmm. movements in music um, out there. And uh, and so what we started doing is just kind of integrating it in uh, into, our, uh, into our culture. And one of the things here is that for us, it wasn't so much uh, what song we did but how we did the song. Um, and, and as we begin to do that, you know, literally one lady, I told a story, she said to me one Sunday, you know, God's not in that song, you know. Holy Spirit's not in that song. We were singing, "There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain," and I was like, <laughs> "And I was like, lady, you you missed the whole point of the song, <laughs> right?" You know, the power's in the name of Jesus, and I think many times we put our our methods before our mission, and uh, when we do that, we kind of mess it up. So we what we did was is we partnered with another church uh, buddy of mine. He's in Cleveland. He has an all-white church, and, and we do something called worship swap. Um, and I think Scott said it earlier. I mean, and let music culture guide us, man. They're, you know, they're ambidextrous. You know, you've got rap. You're, you know, like Scott said, that one of the best rappers out is white and rock guys, country-wise. You know, everybody's mixing. And so what we did was, uh, we had a we had one of my guys. Every other month, our worship leader goes to his church in Cleveland and leads worship, and they teach two urban songs. And in uh, mm-hmm. the next month, uh, his worship leader comes down. He's white, and he teaches two. You know Bethel songs or Gateway songs, and and we've kind of done it that way because uh, you know I couldn't we couldn't afford to just hire some white worship guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so uh, we we tackled it that but way. We wrote them. And it, exactly, and it's been it's been great for us. But uh, music is is key, I believe, is key to building a diverse church. Um, and you know there's some great artists out there that are doing it both ways. B. J. Putnam, Israel, um, Planet Shakers. You know there's some good artists out there that are doing both things, and I think you gotta. Really empower your team to go out and find and and uh, and really connect with other other worship leaders at other churches and seeing what they're
3: doing.
1: Hmm. Uh, John or or uh, Herbert, um, music. How have you guys handled that?
3: Well, I mean, I totally agree with Jimmy. I think you know we got a guy on our staff named Johnny Hill and uh, great guy. Everybody loves Johnny, African American, and I call him Johnny Hill Song because he leads a lot of songs, worship. Johnny can make Hillsong sound black. I mean, so, you know, it it it's just a style. It's a flow. It's, I don't know. You know, we used to be more intentional. Let me say it this way. And we made sure that we had some sort of gospel field song or a, a moment in every set. And it just felt like we were forcing it. It was good for a season, but it felt like we were forcing it. And so now the team that leads it, is diverse, and so they lead it with their own style, and they lead it, uh, Mm. you know, so, um, you know, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but, you know, I I think like Jimmy said, I mean, hes I'm sure he has, you know, his worship leader is African-American. If they're singing a Hillsong song, there's a way to make it definitely sound uh, more urban, more, you know, gospel.
1: Herbert, how are you guys handling the music issue?
4: Yeah, we very intentional. Um, day one when we started the church, I, our our worship leader was white, and and so that was um, that that was a uh, that was awesome as far as he was able to bring that context of of the rock kind of style. Um, today, on both of our our, our locations, or both our worship leaders are black, but they're both they both actually do well with with rock, and so we are very intentional because um, especially our. The original location is in a black neighborhood, so I realize that every ethnicity that's that's here is driving in from somewhere, Uh, and so we're very intentional realizing we are in a black area. And I'm a black pastor, and you're a black worship leader, and we have tons of white staff white staff members, but. We want to make sure that we're connecting with uh, with other cultures, and so we're very intentional about the music that we select each weekend. And normally, it's two or three rock songs and one or two gospel songs, or when I say gospel, more urban, yeah, like Israel, Israel Houghton. So we're we're very intentional with that.
1: Scott, you want to add anything to that? You see anything or? Yeah.
2: I just think that, you know, first thing is we have to realize that it's okay, and people do have preference, because they do. they just, the reality is people have a preference, but I think if you're intentional about it, whether or not, I mean, there's some people that take a very extreme, they take songs, and they give it a, a number rating, a 10 being extra gospel, a 1 being contemporary, and if it doesn't um, meet to the 4 to 6, so there's a dump, that I think that might be too much. I think the big thing is just saying, is asking the question, are we being intentional about it, and make sure that your stage is reflective as well because the thing is, people connect with different people that are worshipping as I might connect with the drummer who's over there doing. I might connect with the guy that's on the bass. It might not always be your lead vocalist, but if you've got people that are lead worshipers on stage, know that people are going to connect with things outside of the genre of music even. So, intentionality intentionality on your stage and platform, look, feel, and then I think let God be authentic to who you are. Don't all of a sudden just try to (laughs) <laughs> do what, and take them on a journey. Like I think Pastor Jimmy's done a great job of saying this is where we're going and he's led his church on a journey and that's where they found himself in that position and then you know at People's Church you know the beauty we might go from Hillsong to Marvin Sapp in the same set and it's seamless and so it just really depends on what you do but intentionality is key. Yeah, I
4: just add to I think those musicians and background singers are key and that's something we really have tried to to make the stage diverse every weekend.
1: Okay. Well, we're out of time. This has been great. Um, what? Uh, th- let me just do this. What? Anybody written anything? Let's. Let's. This is the time for shameless self-promotion. Uh, of uh, what have you written? Where are you speaking? Um, what's going on in your world? Uh, John, I know you just wrote a book, and probably if you're listening on this podcast, John has just a, a real grasp on kind of the financial piece. Uh, he, you know. They call him Mr. Diversity, but I'll tell you what, his message on finances is great. So what, what have you written, John? Talk to me about it.
3: Just just uh, released a book uh, called Worry-Free Finances, and um, it's a mini book. It's a smaller book, and it's done really well. It's already in its second printing. Publisher's very happy, which means I'm happy, and uh, a lot of pastors are using it for small group curriculum, using it for series. i got a lot of friends that are using it for financial series, pastors don't like to talk about it, obviously, and so, uh, but, you know, I've couched it in the whole idea of worry. 80% of people, 80% of Americans are worried about money all the time, quote, all the time, which means, Mm. you know, 8 out of 10 people in our churches are consumed with worry about money, and so if we're going to be a relevant church, we're going to have to talk about money, and so I kind of wrote it it's a, it's a pastor's friend. I talk about tithing in it and uh, tithe to your local church, and so pastors love it. Uh, it's called Worry-Free Finances. Good.
1: Excellent. Scott, what have you written?
2: Um, a book. I have to, just happened to have a, a picture of it right here. <laughs> That's uh,
1: amazing.
2: <laughs>
1: it's That's amazing church how that works.
2: <laughs> church Diversity Sunday, the most segregated day of the week. And basically it's, it's some very practical how-to's. And the great thing about it is I have one chapter where I feature other churches, churches like uh, People's Church and Pastor Herbert. Uh, We talked, you know, Pastor John was mentioned about Africa. There's a church that I've worked with in Nairobi, and they talk about tribalism, so you're able to kind of get some context there. I look at corporate America, what they do, and what the church can learn from them. And so it's just a great how-to. I think it's on sale, Amazon, right now. So if you want to Want to pick it up and again it's been out for a couple of years but I, I really felt like we we're premature and we're really getting a lot of momentum as a matter of fact at the end of this month i'm speaking at the fca headquarters and so basically the fca leadership you know the, the coo is saying he wants to make sure they incorporate this into their organization before he leaves and so all their leaders from around the country are going to be using this. it's going to be a part of their curriculum
1: that's a great tool and for those of you who are listening uh, we'll have it up on the, uh, when we uh, have the podcast downloaded, we'll have it on the website, uh, links to the, the books. Herbert, have you written anything, got anything that's cooking with you?
4: Yes, um, um my first book is going to be published, it's going to release in January 2015, uh, with Zondervan called, But God Changes Everything, and it's kind of just... Uh, my my story and what I think many people's stories story is is you know if I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional setting and uh, divorce and abuse and, and I would be a hot mess but God. <laughs> and I would be in prison today like most of my family members, but God. Mm. I'd be strung out on drugs today based on my background but God and I'd be flat broke. <laughs> <laughs> but God and so but God literally changes everything and not only in my life in many people's lives and as you study scripture most people had a but God moment that changed everything uh, in their life and so that book's going to come out and you can check it out but.book.com and your church can do a series on that whole topic in January but God
1: in January we're set good Jimmy how about you uh, I haven't uh,
5: wrote anything yet I've actually Scott's book was uh, was just key in, in our in our transition I got a chance to meet Scott last uh, last summer um, but we are speaking uh, I'll be at the exponential conference uh, doing an session on diversity there on uh, April the 30th um, and then I'll also be doing my own um, diverse uh, building a diverse dynamically diverse church on August the 9th at i5 church with Dino Rizzo uh, here, then you can go to RedLeaders.com and uh, <clears throat> register for that. Uh, but uh, Scott's book it was key, and I can't wait to read. But God, it'll be a series because I've already
1: done Worry-Free Finances. Look at that. <laughs> That's good. But here's the here's the question: Have you read Irreverent? <laughs> <laughs> Change your life.
4: Okay. I have I like read you. Irreverent. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
5: I have not read it yet. Just It's my next read. How about that? It's
1: your next read. It will make you laugh and make you cry and show you Jesus. All right, there we go. That's my non-New York Times best-selling uh, book. All right? So guys, thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, this has been fun. We could have taken it further, and probably it's good that we didn't. Sean, do you want to uh, tell us what's
0: coming up next? Absolutely. May the 14th, we'll be back here with another ministry hangout uh, with Pastor Greg. Excited about that. And uh, we're going to talk about what happens when you fall and the road to restoration. We've got uh, Pastor Dino Rizzo joining us and uh, Pastor Michael Lokowalski joining us. Uh, two guys who have walked this. They, they don't just talk it. They've walked through it. And they're going to help us learn as pastors. So spread the word. Uh, let everybody know this is a, no, couldn't be a more pertinent topic even this week. Um, just to talk about what happens to prevent falling, what happens when you fall, and what's the road to restoration look like. So we'll see you guys May the 14th. You can check out all of the old uh, archives of Ministry Hangouts at ministryhangout.com. And, of course, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast, and that way you don't have to watch us. You can just listen to us. But you'd be missing out on all this good-looking if you did that. So you just go either way you need to. We'll see you guys next month. We can't wait for it uh, with Ministry Hangouts with Pastor Greg Surratt.